Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk. Where does it go? Welcome. This is the podcast, Where Does It Go? I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. (laughs) And we're both really sleep deprived today. So (laughs) this is going to be great. Uh, (laughs) uh, And so I'm going to go ahead and go first. And I was looking into the this podcast topic while eating a bunch of candy, which was pretty fun. Uh, <laughs> and it is, where does weight go when you lose it? Uh, and I have known this since my freshman year of college, uh, not because of weight loss in college, but because I am a plant biology degree holder and respiration and photosynthesis are both really important components of plant biology. Uh, And so weight loss and weight gain uh, is something that matters a lot with plants. And so it was something that was covered in depth, but it's not something that's covered in depth in a lot of other fields or in just sort of general knowledge. And one of my resources actually, which is a, it's a, the best uh, scientific paper abstract I have ever read in my life. I'm going to link it in the show notes. Uh, and it is about a group of researchers who literally traced the atoms in uh, a body about where they actually go and, and how much is lost in one or the other sort of uh, sort of excretion organs because that's you you excrete your weight basically, which makes sense, um, but you actually breathe most of it out. Your lungs are a major excretory organ, which is not something lungs are typically viewed as. Uh, so let's so, talk about. Oh, go ahead. So when- so you, when you, okay, I get it. Like you're, when you're breathing, you're just, you're excreting things. Okay. Yeah. When you breathe in, you're taking in oxygen and right. nitrogen and other whatever's in your vicinity. Uh, and when you breathe out, you are breathing out s- several things, but primarily carbon dioxide. Oh, I had always just thought it was like carbon dioxide. That's interesting that you breathe out other things. Huh. Yeah, like uh, some of it is actually water vapor that you expel. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. so That's why my glasses fog up when I put a scarf over my nose. Yeah. Or when I have to wear a mask on my face. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I'm going to talk about sort of where, you know, people have weight and then how it gets excreted. Uh, and we'll start with water uh because a lot of people think oh i'm just you know a lot of it, uh, there's a lot of there's a trend recently especially on say instagram of people selling <laughs> like influencers selling these flat tummy teas and stuff like that and they're all basically diuretics and laxatives and they do make you lose some weight immediately uh in terms of just sort of an everyday person walking around on earth on average, you sweat up to uh, 700 milliliters a day. If you're not an, an athlete, I didn't do the math on how much that is in standard measurements. Uh, most of the stuff is measured in metric because most of the world utilizes metric. Uh, we're just, we're just individuals in America. Um, So you sweat some out. Athletes can sweat up to 12 liters a day, which is somewhere in the vicinity of almost three gallons, which is a lot. Uh, But your everyday Joe, it can be up to like a quarter of a gallon tops, a quart, in fact, (laughs) Uh, because it includes perspiration of like oh i'm feeling warm i'm sweating and then there's also sort of insensible perspiration you're just always kind of 
losing a little moisture through your skin. Uh, when it comes to urine, you will often urinate out quart, quart and a half, one, one and a half liters. Uh, and then there's a lot of water in your feces too. Uh, and so by weight, in terms of feces excretion, you'll, you'll lose, uh, you know, up to eight ounces a day on average. As for an adult, uh, kids are a little different. Uh, so a lot of people think, oh, I excrete it through my bowels or I excrete it just by sweating it all out. A lot of, there's the, there's the fitness phrase of sweat is fat crying. And that's not <laughs> really true. It's just your body trying to cool itself down. Uh, you do lose some weight through sweat because water has weight uh, in this gravitational field on earth. Uh, but that's not where the main excretion happens. It's mostly through breathing. And so to put this in sort of a, a much simpler, I'm going to put in sort of a layman's macro explanation and then get a little chemistry, chemically, chemistry, chemistry focused. Ooh. Uh, so we'll start broadly. You've heard the term carbon-based life form before, right? Yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's you, me. Uh, Shotzi, my dog. Shotzi the dog, Moby my cat. Uh, <laughs> you know, Earth has primarily carbon-based life forms. Uh, I think there might be some. There might be some that aren't. In like, I don't. In like the crevices of the ocean or something. I should. Uh, that's me talking instead of looking again. I don't know about that. Like the extremophiles. I don't know that. Like the other biggest one they've they've theorized are the silla, silicon-based life. That's what but I'm that, thinking of, but I don't know yeah. if they, have they found any or those things? I, I don't think so, okay. um, but it's possible. I don't, I don't know. Like they find new species of extremophiles all the time. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll say we'll do an update on that and then probably forget. <laughs> I'm going to do an update on that and then probably forget. And anyway. again, we both haven't had a lot of sleep. So. Yeah. <laughs> so carbon-based life forms, that's us. The food we eat is, in sort of a broad nutritional sense, made up of fats, carbohydrates, and proteins. All of these have carbon components. And also, there's also water, and there's trace minerals, some of which we need to function well, some of which we don't need, or some of which are toxic. It depends uh, on who you are, what you're eating, and where it was grown. But let's, let's talk most, most of it is fats, carbohydrates, and proteins. Those are all carbon-based uh, because primarily what we eat comes from living things or is synthesized from components that we sort of copied from living things. Uh, so... We are carbon, we consume carbon. Our bodies turn uh, the carbohydrates and the proteins into fats, and then they rearrange the fats that we eat. So everything gets turned into fat, triglycerides specifically. And it also doesn't, like on silicone-based life, I'm, I'm looking, and it, it seems like it's just hypothesized. It's, we haven't actually found anything. And the reason why they think that silicon-based life is something that could be on alien worlds is that carbon and silicon are very similar um, biologically. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's just an aside. There you go. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. That means I don't have to... Um be ashamed of forgetting to fact check that later. <laughs> <laughs> it's also one of the most common um, elements in the universe as is carbon. So that's why that's mm -hmm. another reason why. Yeah. Uh, so I was right. It is triglycerides. Uh, so we consume these things. They get converted to what's called a triglyceride. I'll put in the show notes, you can look at the chemical formula, but it's basically made out of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Then our body goes through a complex cycle, sometimes called the citric acid cycle, sometimes called the Krebs cycle, uh, to 
essentially incorporate the oxygen we breathe in and the triglycerides that either we eat or our body converts from what we eat or our body converts from the fat stores in our body. Because if we have extra food, if we consume extra carbohydrates, proteins, or fats, our body stores it. We're like, and you know, our body's like, heck yeah, we're going to survive that next famine. And, uh, you know, lays down a layer of fat. Uh, and so as our body burns, and, you know, I'm making burns, we don't really burn it, but as our body works through needing energy, we, our body takes the triglycerides and oxygen and turns it into carbon dioxide, water, and energy. So water gets, you know, sent back into our system. We can excrete it through breathing, through sweating, through urine, through feces. Uh, but the main component that's left over after this process, other than some energy, which we use to function, and water, which we also use to function, just in a different way, is carbon dioxide. And then we, our, our uh, body transports that through our system using our, you know, our uh, circulatory system, our blood, to our lungs, and then we breathe it out. And that's actually one of the main, one of the main impetuses for us to keep breathing is not lack of oxygen, but in fact, the need to get rid of carbon dioxide. That's the major urge that we have, is to eliminate carbon dioxide. So that's where it goes. Uh, and we'll put the, I'll put the chemical formulas uh, up on our page, but uh, ultimately this study found 84% of a, let's go with a kilogram or a pound of fat is excreted as carbon dioxide and around 16% as water. Huh. And so on average around 204 grams of carbon are exhaled in a day for like an average adult. Uh, exercise significantly increases your metabolism. And that's what I, the process I just described of taking a triglyceride and oxygen and turning it into carbon dioxide, water, and energy is essentially metabolism. It's a, it's a very broad simplification. This stuff is chemically complex. I think it's kind of staggering that we can understand it as deeply as we do. Uh, science is pretty amazing. Uh, but exercise increases your metabolic rate, so it increases the amount of carbon dioxide you have in your system, and it increases your carbon dioxide excretion. But you're not saying don't exercise because you're contributing to global climate change. That's not what I'm... Uh, no, I don't, I don't recommend that. <laughs> I'm not fond of diet culture. I take a lot of issues with it that are not relevant to this podcast, but I uh, am going to say that uh, movement appropriate with your ability and inclination is usually good for you. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, so there was an interesting survey uh, done by the writers or shown by the writers of this uh, particular paper uh, indicating that from a sample of doctors, dietitians, and personal trainers, they were asked where, when somebody loses weight, where does it go? Which is kind of what I'm talking about now. And most of all three family doctors, dietitians, and personal trainers said it got turned into energy. Um, which is not actually thermodynamically possible without like a massive explosion. Uh, <laughs> you make some energy through the oxidation of a triglyceride, which is similar to fire. You make some energy through the oxidation of a carbon-based fuel in a fire, uh, which we talked about in 
episode, what, two? Yes. Yeah, two. Uh, there were a lot of responses, including like, oh, you excrete it through feces, you excrete it through sweat, you excrete it through urine. And that's, you know, you get rid of water and fiber and, uh, you know, some waste products that way. Uh, but only a few dietitians actually knew and were able to communicate that it was carbon dioxide and water. And now the listeners of this podcast can say that they know that too. That's really awesome. I guess I had never really thought about it or really understood it. Um, that's really cool to think about. Bodies are so amazing. Yeah. That's really neat. Oh, um, <laughs> when we learned this, uh, a really smarmy kid in my class shouted out, so if I exhale forcefully, will I lose five pounds? And uh, the answer is no. You actually <laughs> have to uh, oxidize triglycerides and convert them into carbon dioxide, water, and energy in order to have the carbon dioxide to exhale. So your body has to process either the food you eat or the fat in your body. Uh, and if you don't have enough fat in your body, it'll start breaking down things like muscles and bones. Uh, but that's starvation. We don't recommend that if you can avoid it. Uh, no. And one thing that's um, important to note is that your brain has a lot of fat compositionally. Uh, and a lot of times with extreme dieting, part of your brain will get digested, which is <gasps> worrisome. Really? Yeah, like it's 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 not a lot of it, but it's it's a component of the process. So because I'm so conflicted. Like I part of me wants to go into like diet culture, but this is not the scope of this podcast today. This I know is very scientific, like so it's eating your brain. Among other things. A little bit. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, now, now I feel like this is really me being the smarmy kid in the class now, but uh, when I was reading the results <laughs> of that survey, I was like, mm, this is like how it feels when you know the, uh, the final Jeopardy question and nobody else does. <laughs> <laughs> so... I was feeling smug and you can too now through my explanation of where does weight go when you lose it? It goes out of your lungs and your body as CO2 and water. Yeah. And then maybe becomes part of the plants around you yeah. or contributes to global warming <laughs> or both or both. <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, mine was a brief one today. That's awesome. I could go into the whole Krebs cycle and all Krebs that. cycle that I had to memorize in school, but I remember um, the Krebs cycle, and it's not crabs; it's Krebs. Like for some reason, when I was in freshman biology, I kept writing it Krebs, and then I would see my notes later, and I would see this, and I would draw a little crab next to it. <laughs> Well, it helped you remember the name. It did help me remember the name. It did help me remember. That's true. You know, the, because uh, part of my brain is uh, is actually a cartoon. So <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything in that part is, you know, there's a little crab and his name is Krebs. There you go. <laughs> the, uh, the cycle describing the, proce the chemical process of photosynthesis is called the Calvin cycle. Uh, oh, excellent. And then the chemical process of the generation of adenosine triphosphate, which is making energy through the oxidation of triglycerides. ATP! Yeah. Uh, is called the Krebs cycle. And that is difficult to tell apart at an, in an 8 a.m. biochemistry class. 8 a.m. is an evil time for a class, I feel like. Yeah. 
Because when you're young, like you need a lot more sleep than you do. Well, I don't know about that. I, I like to sleep, but you so. do as a, as a teen and a, a young adult, AKA early twenties. I like how this is looped back to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're both a little tired. Yeah. So do you want me to go into the final sleep and talking about green burial? Heck yeah. So let's go into green burial. So a loved one dies or you, you know, you're going to die and you're like, you know what? I think the traditional funeral industry is wasteful and I want to be eco-friendly when I die. Or maybe your, your loved one had that wish and you're like, okay, well, where does it go when someone wants a green burial? And so this is, I, I had actually never heard of this. I just assumed that um, you either have two options. You can do the traditional funeral with the casket and the flowers and the death plot with the stone gravestone with your name on it, or you can be cremated. And those were the pretty much the two options I thought that everyone had. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I didn't really, I didn't really think like you could do anything else. I thought there were laws surrounding what you could do when you die. And it turns out there's not really that many laws. It really depends on where you live as far as like, I guess, um, one of the um, proponents of natural burial or, or green burial, she was saying um, in an article, and then she's got a really nice TED talk that I can link to, um, that it's actually not the law that you have to embalm a body. You do not have to embalm a dead body. Right. You um, can put it in the fridge, and it has to be refrigerated if you um, if it's going to be um, 48 hours before it's buried, but mm -hmm. that's really all it is. And refrigeration can just mean like you pack it with ice packs. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Um, so I'm going to go into like the traditional funeral at first, because I think that's what most people are used to, mm -hmm. um, in, in a traditional funeral, you know, with the casket and the flowers and all that stuff, the body is generally embalmed. Um, in, in embalming the the circulatory system is filled with embalming agents and traditionally those embalming agents, um, includes formaldehyde, which is extremely carcinogenic and toxic. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's why there's, um, a big push for, for, um, formaldehyde free embalming at this point. Um, and then, you know, the body is prepped. <clears throat> that's why you get like you get the best suit or you get the, the prettiest dress or whatever. And then the body is made up for the visitation or whatever. Um, and then you pick out a casket for your loved one. Um, the cor the, the corpse is put into a casket. Um, and then, you know, you have the visitation then you have the burial, um, and then the funeral's over. Um, the casket itself Generally, the, the caskets these days, they're, they're made out of um, a combination of metal and wood or um, all wood, depending on what you go with. But they actually have like a rubber seal mm -hmm. around their edge to seal off the body from moisture. So there's very little decomposition going. Like there's no moisture. There's no ground touching the body <clears throat> in a traditional funeral. Um, so there's really very little decomposition going on. The, the body will decompose like just naturally because of all the stuff that's in your body re regardless, mm -hmm. but the earth doesn't touch the body. Um, and so you don't really have that the way that it used to be where the body breaks down really relatively quickly. And that is the entire reason for the traditional funeral um, with embalming the casket. Um, and when you go into a cemetery, it's not just, you don't just dig holes in the ground. Cemeteries actually have a, um, like a cast, um, what is it called? A grave. It's like a burial vault within the ground. And oh. that's really, 
just to keep the ground from heaving in. So there's this network under cemeteries as well, um, where it's usually concrete, and that actually, the burial vault will actually seal the casket itself into the ground as well. Jeez. Yeah, so there's all this preservation going on in the body so that the body is not actually breaking down that much. And that is generally the purpose for it. I believe it was originally religious, though I saw um, some information um, from one guy who makes pine, just plain pine coffins. And he said, um, we started embalming with formaldehyde mainly um, it was a way of preserving bodies, soldier bodies on the battlefield so that they could get home to their families so their families could bury them, oh. which I had never heard of before. There's a whole lot of body prep and stuff um, going on um, for a long time since ancient Egypt. Um, you know, everybody knows about the, the, uh, the kings that were buried, the kings and queens that were buried. Um, mm -hmm. In, in Egypt, but they didn't use formaldehyde. They used various other things. Um, but this is what, salts, didn't they? yeah, the, some used salt, um, and the organs were removed and put in canopic jars. Um, but this, the modern way of doing it generally involves the formaldehyde, um, the casket, the burial vault, um, the body prep and all that which makes funerals extremely expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I saw an average funeral costs like $8,000. That's for all the, the, the funeral service, the casket, the embalming, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then also um, the casket making in the world, like it just uses up a lot of resources. Um, and then I saw some other statistic that, 800,000 gallons of formaldehyde are basically put into the ground because of funerals. Wow. Ooh. I know. I was like, I, I don't know how accurate that is, but that seems right because, you know, the death rate is 100%. Everybody's eventually going to die. So, <laughs> <laughs> so far. <laughs> um, and then, so I'll go into cremation because people are like, oh, well, it's a, it's a better way. Um, to be cremated, you don't, you're not wasting the energy of um, making the casket, the burial vault, all that stuff. And I mean, if you want to be more eco-friendly, it's definitely a better way to do it. Um, you can do direct cremation, which is basically means um, you're not embalmed. Mm -hmm. um, you're put in a pretty plain wooden box or a very large cardboard ones. There's a cardboard one that is basically, you know, made for this. Um, and then the body is put into a, a, like a giant um, crematorium um, and you're burned and then your, your family gets your ashes. Mm -hmm. So it's just that like a giant, it's like, it looks like a very big steel, pizza oven I want to say <laughs> it's it's um it's more it's more technical looking than a pizza oven but when I saw the pictures of it I was like oh that you know looks like a giant pizza oven like you would see at um where was that you could used to be able to buy pizzas where um you could pick all the toppings and then watch it cook and it was like this big steel um and you could watch it cook and it kind of reminded me of that. However terrible that is for me to say when I'm talking about dead bodies. Hey, you've <laughs> experienced a lot more, you know, pizza baking than you have cremating of other people. I'm assuming. Yeah, that's, that's, that would be a fair assessment. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, so the problem with cremation, um, regular cremation is that even if you're not embalmed, um, there's, you know, releasing CO2, carbon yeah, dioxide, carbon based. exactly. Um, releasing all that stuff into the air. And if you have other stuff in your body, that's going to get burned too. Like if you have amalgam feelings. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. All that mercury is going into the atmosphere. So, um, 
So you can also embalm the body with cremation. And I think generally that's what people do because they don't know. So if you think about um, embalming, you also have that embalming fluid that's in the body and then you're just incinerating it when you embalm people, when you um, cremate them. So most modern crematoriums have filters um, on their, on their stacks, on the out, outtake into the world, but that's not going to get a hundred percent of the stuff going into the atmosphere, obviously. So I, I learned about this other cremation that I had never heard of. Um, and I just, I want to mention it because it was really cool. So it's called um, aquamation or water cremation. The technical term is alkaline hydrolysis. Oh, I had never heard of this before. Apparently it is extremely common um uh well not extremely but it's more common for pets like you would aquamate um a pet that you have you wanted to do cremated there are places that offer that apparently it's not approved in many states i guess only 14 states um have it approved and it seems like a lot of that is the traditional funeral industry um, have fought against it for some reason. I don't really understand that. Um, but it does take like a giant steel um, container, or it looks like a giant pressure cooker when I was seeing pictures of it. Um, <laughs> it, it does. It's like I a giant. <laughs> and um, it's pressurized and it's full of water and either potassium or sodium hydroxide. So it's full mm -hmm. of, yeah. Um, the body is or, uh, potash, isn't it? Yes. And so then the body is heated in this stew for hours um, and the soft tissues are dissolved and only the bones are left. And then the bones are dried and then pulverized and given back to your families. Um, the, the water solution goo of the dissolved tissues is safe enough to be flushed into the sewage system is what I read. Um, I, that's, that's what I read. I don't know how true that is. It seems like it's probably likely, I would guess. I, I don't know. Um, so there's a reduction in the greenhouse gases um, the, and the harmful chemicals that are released into the air and I guess from one estimate, the water usage is less than what a family of four would use in about a day. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I thought it was interesting. It's called green cremation or aquamation. It's not very popular here from what I saw, um, but it seems to be more popular and gaining more um, support in the Pacific Northwest. It seems like they're the pioneers of, gr of green death. It mm. seems like. I like that there's a term green death. Mm -hmm. So um, that leads me to my main topic of interest, which is the uh, green burial, natural burial. And um, those terms are um, interchangeable. Mm -hmm. um, you'll hear one person say green burial and another person say natural burial, and it means pretty much the same thing. Um, so in a green burial, um, you would contact someone that would do this, and it really depends on where you live. Um, the area that we live in, North Carolina, actually, you have a lot of options for this. I did not know this. There are a ton of options for green burial. And... Um, so you contact a, a place that would do this for you. Um, the body is not embalmed because you're just going to be placing it into the ground. Um, and then you're wrapped in a biodegradable shroud. Mm -hmm. That's like either cotton or some other really biodegradable substance, or you're put into a casket, which is made from super biodegradable uh, material. Like um, I've seen a lot of wicker. It looks like a giant wicker coffin kind of interesting looking um a shallow grave is dug so normally a grave is not shallow it's generally pretty deep because you've got to get that concrete vault in then the casket and then there's a bunch of um dirt over it mm -hmm. 
so a shallow grave is dug, um, the corpse is buried, um, and then it just decomposes naturally. And because it's closer to the surface, um, it's going to get more air. And so mm -hmm. air, it's going to get more air. And so it's going to decompose um, from the aerobic bacteria. It's um, in touch with the ground so that all the good little de decomposers that live in the ground will go after it. Um, and so most people are like, oh, well, the, there's pathogens and stuff that you don't want to get near dead bodies. And that is true. You shouldn't play with dead bodies. Um, I, I mean, I don't enjoy playing with dead bodies. But <laughs> this podcast does not endorse playing with dead bodies. Please don't. But um, actually, during the decomposition process, I guess these pathogens are killed off really relatively quickly yeah. because nature is taken over. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these cycles of decomposition and, and because the grave is shallow, it actually works relatively well. And so um, you can go to, um, there's different types of green burial places. We have a few in our area that are hybrids. That means that um, you can go there and they have an area set aside for green burial. And they also have traditional cemetery plots. Um, there's Oakwood Cemetery in Raleigh, North Carolina. That is a big um, hybrid one. You can do either or there. Um, and then there's also conservation burial, which means that it's a, it's a plot of land that has a conservation easement. Um, and the conservation easement says that nothing else can be done in this area. So when you decide to put your loved ones in a conservation aerial, a conservation burial plot, the money that you pay that will go towards a land trust generally, and that will preserve an area as a conservation area. Um, and generally they only plant like native plant life. So um, you'll have native plant life, you'll have native birds. It's basically just conservation area. It's, it, it's a very pretty place to visit. Um, it looks like a giant wild area. I have never heard of a conservation plot of land being utilized as a burial ground. That's mm -hmm. great. Yes. There's actually a very big one um, in Asheville, North Carolina, the Asheville area. It is called Carolina Memorial Sanctuary. And it's actual, it, it's near a river. It's the con it's, and it's a conservation burial ground. Um, there's also one, it's just natural burial uh, in Wake Forest. And there's a huge one, someone was telling me, that has been nicknamed the Body Farm just uh -huh. outside of Chapel Hill. So it's in Orange County. You can also bury, and I, you should look this up, but depending on the size of your piece of property and zoning, you can often be buried on your own property. Um, yes, I was going to mention that next. Oh, sorry. You know, it's fine. I'm glad you brought it up. That was my next topic. You can, um, depending on the laws and how big your, your piece of land is, bury, you know, grandpa or dad on your property. However, you have to make sure that you have a burial permit and that your state allows it. Um, and you also want to think like if you live in suburbia and you have a postage stamp size plot, um, and you might be moving in five years, probably not burying grandpa in your yard is a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Cause um, if you want to dig him up, that's kind of a big deal or, you know, your neighbor's yeah, grandpa's body has him. rights. We covered that in the discontinued cemeteries. Yes, we did. Grandpa's body has rights. And also um, your neighbors might not know and you move away and they're digging out in their yard and they find bones and they think it's a crime scene. So <laughs> you have to be cognizant of, you know, the land that you live on, the, the laws that in the state that you live in. And if you need the, the, all the bureaucratic paperwork that goes along with that as well. Um, I guess in Texas, you can bury your loved ones very easily on your own property, which I found was interesting. 
Oh, Texas. <laughs> we would only get phone calls at the health department about like, can I bury Uncle Frank on my property uh, around full moons? We would only get him. <laughs> there was usually an uptick of those kind of phone calls. Really? Around full moons, yeah. Around full moons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm wondering, like, it, part of me is like, oh, is there like a werewolf epidemic? <laughs> <laughs> So, Uncle Ted, you're really, you're causing a lot of issues with your werewolfness. I think now is the time for the silver bullet. (laughs) Don't worry, we won't take you off the property. (laughs) You'll be buried in the family sacred well. (laughs) Or it's like maybe vampires, like (laughs) I'm a vampire, I want to be buried on my own land. Because when I rise, like, I want to know where I am. I don't know. That's actually, that's part of vampiric lore is burying someone who is suspected of vampirism uh, facing downward. Yes. So that they do not know, they, like, don't have any idea how to get out of their grave, I guess. I guess mm-hmm. they can't tell which way is up. So, like, confusing a vampire locationally is an actual thing. And they're like turtles. Like, they can't turn over. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> oh, okay. Great. <laughs> I like that you know that. This is not the first time you've, you've brought up vampiric burial. <laughs> <laughs> I find it. I, I'm going to go on a vampire tangent. I don't like vampire stories i don't like vampire theories i don't i think it's really silly and it's usually uh based on either trying to discredit someone because you don't like who they are or what they're doing or tuberculosis epidemics and uh the only vampire thing i have ever liked is uh what we do in the shadows which is one of the best movies i've ever seen i think you've seen it i think i recommended it to you yeah uh and everyone should see it because i hate vampire stories and that's a vampire story and i loved it so <laughs> i you know the the twinkly vampire thing of the twilight era yeah i was just like oh this cannot die fast <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> He's so sexy, but it's also an extremely emotionally abusive relationship. Did you know and that Manip- Fifty Shades of Grey started out as Twilight fan fiction? Oh, and really? Then, and then her publisher, Stephanie Meyer's publisher, or no, Stephanie Meyer's wrote um, Twilight. Whoever wrote Fifty Shades of Grey, I don't know. I didn't read it. I don't, ugh. I don't need to read, I don't want to read vampire fiction. I definitely don't want to read vampire fan fiction. Uh, (laughs) But it was just uh, Bella and Edward fan fiction that somebody thought was good enough to publish and they just changed the name. (laughs) Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I remember when Fifty Shades of Grey was popular and I would be on the plane and seeing all these, like on a plane or in a public place and seeing all these people reading them. And I'm just like, this like, that's like BDSM, like soft core porn books. And people are just like reading them out in public, which is cool. You do you. But I was just surprised at how popular it got. Yeah. And we live in such a weirdly puritanical and yet kinky society that it's such a funny dichotomy of like reading weird emotionally abusive but you know erotic fiction in public Mm -hmm. but then losing your mind over a nipple yeah super bowl yep that's exactly (laughs) what i was thinking of Uh, it's a it's a strange dichotomy. I agree. I definitely agree. 
Anyway, <laughs> I, I like that aside. That was fun. Yeah, that's, that's our uh, vampiric lore, and Emily knows about it somewhat, but doesn't like it. Oh, I forgot. Salem's, Salem's Lot. It's not really Salem's Lot. It's like Salem's Lot, the Stephen King book about vampires. I liked that one. Oh, I never read it. It's actually a pretty good book. And that's oh, some of why book. I know about vampiric lore. But I like Stephen King's writing. So yeah. I am wrong. Yeah. What we do in the shadows and it's not Salem's lot because it's from, it's like a shortening of Jerusalem's lot. So it's just Salem's lot, which is really not easy to say, mm-hmm. but that was a good book. Yeah. I, I never read it, but I liked some of Stephen King's stuff. Um, the new it movie, it was not, it was not as scary as the original one for some reason. I think maybe I was younger when I saw the original movie. Um, and apparently the book is just horrifying. I, that's one of the few Stephen King books I could not read because I just, it was just rough. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So you sent me an article and then someone else sent me an article and then someone else sent me an article. It's all the same article. Oh the my BBC, God, that's so funny. I loved it. The BBC article about body composting. And, and I mean, I, I read the BBC article and I read a few other articles. They didn't go into very much detail about what's going on or what happens. Um, So basically, the corpse is layered in wood chips and other compost kind of materials. I'm guessing sawdust and all kinds of other stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then the body is heated up, um, and the heating up and the compost speeds up decomposition. Um, So it's not a very popular way, and I actually had never heard of body composting before. but this is a new way, and I guess it's mostly in the Pacific Northwest that it is a thing. Um, and there's a company called Recompose, from what I read, um, that actually specializes in this. Um, and they say that they can um, decompose a body in their specialty um, compost and heating up uh, in like 30 days, like a full body. Mm-hmm. And then they give the soil back to the families to use in their garden or whatever. Oh, wow. Which I, yeah. I mean, that's kind of cool because you could just be in like a flower garden or a pollinator garden. Yeah. But it didn't really go into much detail after that. The other articles that I read, um, I just re-listened to our episode on dog poop. So it made me think about that, like... Do you, can you use this compost in vegetable gardens or do you just want to leave it on like flowers and trees? I would assume only flowers and trees. Like as we went into and the dog poop went a little bit, like you just, you just don't know. So you don't want to use it on plants that you're going to eat. Well, and you mentioned things like amalgam fillings. Yes. And so I would be. I would use that soil for a very nice uh, flowering tree or shrub because yeah, yeah, there could be mercury or other interesting, uh, you know, heavy metals. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I was like, oh, well, you know, because of the cremation and the amalgam fillings and such, I would assume that you wouldn't want to use it on, on, on edible things. So. Or maybe because it's not burning. It's just, it's decomposition, which is still an oxidative reaction, but it's a lot slower and a lot less destructive. Uh, you don't release the mercury in a way that's uh, environmentally available, just stays bound yes. up in the amalgam. Maybe. Well, the amalgam doesn't hurt you when it's in your body. So I'm wondering if like it just comes out of your fillings, like it just comes out of your teeth or maybe, yeah, it it just, it's just a hunk of metal. It didn't say, I was curious. I was very curious about this. Well, and um, you had mentioned earlier the sort of aquatic 
dissolving mm-hmm. cremation and how it's done on animals. Yeah. And composting roadkill is something that happens uh, as a way to sort of safely increase the decomposition and sort of general, you know, prevent spread of disease or just dead bodies of, you know, just deer lying around everywhere. Right. I remember you talking about that. So it's interesting that two things that are used primarily on animals are now being looked at for human remains. Yeah. And so the, I, I like that a few people, um, when I was watching YouTube videos or reading about green burials, they all pretty much said, well, honestly, this is the way that we used to do it. Like we didn't used to have the crazy burial vault and the, you know, the casket that didn't decompose made out of steel and, you know, formaldehyde all through the body. And just so, you know, the body would be preserved for, you know, a little bit of time, a little bit longer than just the regular decomposition, which I thought was a very good point. Like, Mm -hmm. so I guess the traditional funeral industry, there are some people that are just like, well, this is not the way that it should be done. This is wrong. Um, This is evil. This is disrespectful to um, the body. You need to preserve it, all this other stuff. Um, And uh, the Greenberry proponents are just like, well, you know, this is just how it used to be done. We used to just take the body, um, wrap it in a shroud, or maybe put it in a very simple pine box, and it would go into the ground, and it would decompose. Um, Yeah, and usually the ceremony and the observance of the burial by loved ones was what was the consecrated component yes exactly or consecrating component i guess yes so i i found that enlightening because mm-hmm. i hadn't really ever thought about it like because um unfortunately i've lost quite a few people in my life so i've been to a few funerals Um, And I just always assumed that you either got cremated or you got put in a casket and put in the ground. Like I had never thought that you could do a green burial until a couple years ago when I read this article about this lady in Germany. And there's apparently this park in Germany where you can just um, be, you you can be cremated and your ashes are put in a tree or you can also be buried in this natural burial and they will plant a tree over top of you and you'll basically feed this tree. And that's what I want. Yeah. You're basically this death tree. Like you're there, this, this tree, this beautiful tree is growing out of you and you feed the tree and you feed the, the ground around you and the decomposers go to town. And then I I came across this other very, very cool idea, which I I love when people think out of the box just a little bit. Um, There's natural burial. And then this woman, um, and I'll have to find her name again. She thought of this burial shroud that is made out of mushrooms. So it's like, um, it's cotton and it's got um, spores, mushroom spores in it. So your body is buried and then the mushroom spores start go, to go to town mm-hmm. and you're just like speeding up the process basically and like feeding the earth with all this mycological wonderfulness that is on the shroud and cool. helps um, decompose. I thought that was cool too. And I love when people think about that stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go eco-friendly, that's, that's where you go. That's really nice. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, that was fun. And I know you and I have talked about um, eco green burial. I never knew about aquamation. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. I hope that it goes, you know, gets a little bit farther than being used in, you know, just a handful of states. Yeah, it sounds... Um much more practical yeah well and uh it, it's it's horrible that it makes me think of this but it makes me think of like people dissolving bodies in barrels <laughs> <laughs> that's the true crime fan in me jumping out 
Yeah, you know, I I thought the same thing too, you know, because I I love all those, you know, crime dramas. <laughs> and I always think I I when I originally heard about it, I thought of like the the scene where you find like this goo in the bathtub and you're like, "Oh, that was a dead body." Mhm. Where they like put a bunch of lye in the in the bathtub with, you know, like whoever they killed. Yep. <laughs> oh. And then there's also that, oh, what was it? The point of no return. The guy that played the cleaner. Did you ever see that movie? No. Oh, it's a really good movie. If you like action movies, it's a great one. Um, so is her name Bridget Fonda? Uh, yeah. Bridget Fonda plays this lady who becomes a assassin basically. And she calls this guy um because she messes up like the job and he's the cleaner um and he comes and he basically like puts the bodies in he like dissolves the bodies and the entire area is clean and and people have joked to me that I'm the cleaner <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> at my work like <laughs> our work is to clean things so that they go away <laughs> You're not entirely wrong. <laughs> uh, we, we draw the line at, you know, like dead bodies, but. Yeah, that's just too much work. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, at this point, I could tell them about green burial and be like, you know, it's a better option. Yeah. <laughs> In my opinion. <laughs> you can feed some trees. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. There it goes. <laughs> Do you have a uh, reuse project i don't really i kind of do but i kind of don't so if you do it'd be great i can i can just think of things randomly i i'm full of them yeah i don't have one so i saw this really cool thing on pinterest and by the way we have as as well as instagram twitter um we also have pinterest we also have a like a pinterest board of reuse ideas um, so this is a reuse idea that came up with um, tablecloths. So it's like refashioning old vintage tablecloths into clothing. And I thought it was really pretty cool. It might sound weird to other people, but I see so many pretty like embroidered tablecloths that someone's grandma made um, either in thrift stores or I see them at work and they just don't sell for anything. Um and so you, the top half would be like a dress that you think is fugly or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and you cut the top off. And then um, for kind of like a gypsy boho kind of look, you, um, it's not quilting, but it's like pieces or strips of the embroidered tablecloth. It's very pretty and flowy looking. Cool. And that's up on our, that's up on our Pinterest. Um, I'm sure you could do this with like a shirt as well. Like if you want to make like a flowy shirt, um, if you are of the, if your gender is more masculine, I'm sure you could think of things for a shirt or something. Or um, maybe even just like a bow tie and a pocket square. Exactly. So there are so many possibilities with these vintage linens and they just do not sell. Um, so I thought that was great to like repurpose a piece of clothing and also these cool things to make this very pretty kind of boho looking flowy outfits out of it. Um, so that's in our Pinterest. I can link to that. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, as Sarah said, we have Instagram and Twitter and we're on as many podcasting platforms as i could think of to upload us onto uh including itunes and google play and uh stitcher uh feel mm -hmm. free to subscribe and if you're inclined to give us a rating that would be great yes then would that means we know if we're you know should keep doing this <laughs> well you know honestly i'd keep doing this this is really fun yeah we'll keep chatting uh yeah but if you've got a topic you'd like us to cover we're happy yes. to and uh, if you've got a correction for anything we get wrong, we're also very open to that because we are certainly not perfect people. Or I'm not. I shouldn't speak for Sarah. Oh, I definitely am not. 
So I wear uh, it with pride. <laughs> yeah. I, I am of the personal opinion that there's no such thing as perfect, but that remaining teachable is very important. Yes. So uh, that's where does it go? Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Emily. Mm-hmm.